Y'all ready for the word this morning? Come on. Hallelujah. I'm ready. Look in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, and turn your Bible, or it's going to be on the screen here. And I love this story. Try to really put yourself in this story as we read it. There's so many interesting little statements here. Acts 3, 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried whom they laid daily at the gate, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Remember that phrase, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Hallelujah. Lord, bless your word today in Jesus' name. Now listen to this. I'm excited about this word. Um... This story is fascinating for this reason, uh, to me anyway, for this reason. That is, the, think about this story and how many times you've heard it. Uh, and any time I've heard this story preached about, it's always preached from the viewpoint of Peter. In other words, the message goes like this. You know, the man was lame, but Peter comes in, you know, he says, silver and gold have I none. That's a big point, you know. Well, such as I have, I give I thee. That's a big point, you know. Rise up. That's a big point, you know. And all this, and uh, rise up and walk, and the miracle happens. So every time I've heard this preached, I hear it preached from that vantage point, Peter's vantage point, like it's his story. But it's interesting, if you look at this, this is not really Peter's story at all. You know, uh, if, if there's a little kind of principle of biblical interpretation that when you read stories like this, you need to ask yourself, who is the real subject of the story? Who is it about? And if you ask yourself about that, that about this story, then uh, you have to admit it's about the lame man. This is the lame man's story, not Peter's story. Are you following me yet, huh? So it's the lame man's story. Peter just happens in upon his story, right? The lame man's there before, during, and after. It's the lame man's story. If the, if the lame man is the subject, then there are messages or a message, there's a message to be relayed to us out of the lame man's side of the story. You get that? So now let's think of that with me. So the lessons that we draw today are out of the lame man, not out of Peter. And here's what they are. Watch this. First of all, who is the lame man? In other words, who does he represent for us today? Well, here, here's what you got to understand. The lame man, here was a man who was caught in a long struggle of suffering, and he was laid at the gate, one of the gates of the temple, which meant this. As the people were coming in, it would be, an, the analogy would be as people come into church today, that like this, this man's laid there at the gate or at the door as people are entering in, fellowshipping, full of victory, full of faith, man, you know, loving each other, high-fiving each other. And then the worship is going on. There's powerful worship. 
victorious prayer, faith-building faith preaching. Are you with me? This man is right in the midst of all of that power, faith, and victory, but yet he is struggling with a long-term battle in the midst of all this victory among the people of God. And it hit, all of a sudden hit me, having been a pastor for all these years, how many times I have watched people in our own church, my church, in the midst of all of this victory, anybody who knows me knows that I love to preach faith. You know, I'm, I'm a faith man. I believe that the gospel is given to us for victory in every area of our lives. But I've watched all of that faith being preached, the great prayers we pray for people, you know, people in the midst of our great services, the worship and all that. But yet I've seen people struggle for year after year with long-term battles. Sometimes maybe it's their marriage. I've seen people in our church, that they had other areas of victory in their life. They knew God and they were, had strength in other areas, but yet in their marriage. For, I've seen people in our, in our church that were like, I mean, they were good people, you know, respectable people, loved God. But yet they had a marriage that was dysfunctional, distant, you know, and, and so the couple was basically coexisting in the home, and they never could break out of that struggle. I've seen people who had air, victory in, every, air, in other areas of their life, but yet they were f suffering financially, you know, and they never could break out. They were always stuck in this cycle of living from hand to mouth, paycheck to paycheck. I've seen people struggle with sickness. Think of this. They had other areas of victory in their life, but they couldn't break out of a cycle of sickness. And it's like uh, sometimes it's mental torment. You got victory in every area of your life, but people struggle maybe with fear. I've seen that plague people for years. You hear what I'm saying? Insecurities. I've seen people got a good job, money, friends, all that, but yet they're insecure and they struggle with this insecurity and condemnation all the time. The point being is this, and that is that God wants to give us a message, a message to those who are in the midst of the house of God, where all of this victory and faith is, who still have this area of your life, an area of your life where you've not been able to break out of this cycle of struggle, and to let you know that that is not God's will for your life. God is not designed for you to survive only in this life. He's designed for you to thrive in this life. You with me now? I believe that. If I didn't believe that, I'd quit preaching this kind of stuff, and I've been preaching it for years. It's my great passion to see everybody in the house of God rise up and put their foot on the head of the devil and walk in victory in every area of their life. It's a choice you make, no matter what you go through in your life. So if you look at the lame man then, putting ourselves in his shoes, let's say if there's some struggle, Maybe whatever, like I said, financial, marriage, physical body, insecurity, whatever it may be. This man was stuck in this long-term cycle of struggle. What kept him in that struggle? That's what I believe the Lord wanted us to learn out of it. What kept that man so many years in that struggle when redemption or victory was available to him all the time? And I got, and got several lessons. One is this. Are you ready? Number one. Number one, here's what I believe kept this man in this struggle for so long. And that is that over time, he dealt with this thing for so long to where eventually 
He allowed what he was going through to define who he was. Think of this. In other words, he allowed, he had been going through this struggle for so long, he had been lame so long, to he, where he changed the way he saw himself. It's one thing to be going through something. It's another thing to allow that thing you're going through to go through you. In other words, to, to, to exist inside of you. My point is this. The man had dealt with a struggle of lameness so long to eventually, where eventually he was no longer just dealing with lameness. He allowed himself to become the lame man. In other words, to be defined or labeled by what he was going through. Don't you ever let what the devil comes against you with, to label you. Are you with me now? To define you. What I'm fighting against here is that idea to where that, no, 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 let me say it. What I, what I fight for is this idea that God has come to bring his victory in every area of our life, but he's not going to bring it to us unless we make certain choices to fight this battle in the midst of the battle and the number one choice you have to make is that I am not going to let this which is coming against me to get on the inside of me and change the way I see myself. You know, I've seen in a very practical sense, I have seen this time and time again in, our, in life church. The church I pastored for so many years that, that I've seen people, I've seen people, let's say, deal with sickness and then, you know, they start out with this note of victory. Yeah, we're believing God to break this thing. Get, get healed, and they deal with it so long that the enemy wears them down to where that now you see them, and you can not only see that they're dealing with physical pain, but actually it's etched all over their face where now they're not only dealing with sickness, but they've come become a sick person. Someone who's dealing with finances, I've seen them, they deal with struggle with finances so long, they're not only dealing struggling with finances, they're, they're not only dealing with poverty, but actually they've become a poor person. Are you listening to me now? I mean, this is huge. You know, I always wonder why. You know, you think about millionaires or multimillionaires. Many times their story is, is they made it and lost it and made it, lost it and made it again. And yet many people don't make it the first time. I think, what's the difference? How is it they can make it, lose it, and get it back again? It's because, they, actually, one guy told me this one time. He said, it's because whether I've got a million in the bank or a penny in my pocket, I see myself the same way. I'm not poor. Oh, listen. He said, rich for me is not defined by the amount of money in my bank account. Are you with me now? If you flip that on the other side, on its head, you'll understand that people have this, people who struggle for years in poverty and financial struggle, listen, even when they get a blessing, even when there is a financial breakthrough, they see it only as a temporary reprieve, but they still see themselves as poor. Are you with me now? And what I want to tell you is this. Listen, if we believe what the Bible says, that God has made a covenant with us, and in this covenant, you know, sometimes just read through Deuteronomy 28. And read the blessing of the Lord that God has promised for you on your life, for your life. You're blessed coming in, blessed going out, blessed in the city, blessed in the field. Hallelujah. I like that. You're blessed in your storehouse, blessed in your field, in the field. 
how you're the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. You lend only and do not borrow. See, that's not, that's not a command. People sometimes want to put people in condemnation because they borrow, you know. That's not what it's saying. It's a promise. God says you can walk with me to a degree where eventually you won't need to borrow anything from anybody in order to, to do what I've called you to do and have the life that I've called you to live. Are you all out there today? That's the kind of life that God's called us, called us to live. But the problem is, is that we deal with these struggles so long that eventually we allow them to define who we are. Does anybody know what I'm talking about today? Come on, girls on the front row, you know what I'm talking about here, huh? Come on, say amen, shout hallelujah. Jump up and do a jig or something, come on. Now, all right, listen in. So number one, he allowed what he's going through to define who he was. Where did I get that from? I got it from this little part of the story where it's interesting. Where the Bible says here, we just read it, it says they laid him daily at the gate called Beautiful. And I look at that one day, realizing a little biblical law of interpretation that goes like this. If it's in the Bible, it's in there for a reason, right? And so I understand this, that when God named that gate, he said he laid him at the gate called beautiful. They laid him daily at the gate called beautiful. Every time God names something in the Bible, whether it's a person, place, or thing, there's always a message in the name. You see, so many places in the Old Testament, the names mean something. There's a message in the name. And so applying that here, I begin to realize it would have been one thing if, God, if the Bible would have said, and they laid him daily at one of the gates of the temple. We just go on and say there's no message really there. But he didn't do that. He said they laid him daily at the gate called Beautiful. And if God named the gate, that means there's a message in the name. And so what's the message in the name? The message in the name is this. That gate was called beautiful because it was the most beautiful gate of all the 12 gates around the temple. And it was, made, it was 60 feet wide. It was made out of very expensive Corinthian bronze. And it had a beautiful, massive sculpture of the city of Susa on it. And people would come by and sit there all day long just gazing at and admiring this beautiful gate. And this lame man was laid there daily in his struggle, experiencing his ugly struggle in the midst of a beautiful place. And I got it. That's the message. God was saying, talk to people who are, an experience, are experiencing an ugly problem in the midst of a beautiful place. In other words, the beauty in their life. In other words, folks, I don't care what you're going through. There's always plenty of beauty around you and victory around you in your life. You may be struggling financially at the moment, but you got your health. You got your family. You got a roof over your head. You got a job. You may be struggling with your finances. Are you with me now? But you got your health. You, got, you understand? You got your health. You got your job. You got everything. You may not have a job, but you got all these others. In other words, there's always more victory in your life than there is the this, this cycle of struggle that you're going through. And what God is saying is it's very important for you to define your struggle through the lens of all the other beauty that there's going on in your life instead of allowing the beauty in your life to be defined through the lens of the struggle. Did you get that? That wasn't complicated, was it? You say, what in the world do you mean? I've seen people do this time and time again. They go through something, and after a while, and maybe it's only been a number of weeks, 
they get so wore down, listen to this, to where since they're going through this struggle, nothing good is happening. It's not just this is happening, this one thing, nothing good is happening. In other words, I'm sick, so everything's wrong. You ever been around people that, you ever seen people that whenever they get sick, you don't even want to be around them? Because everything's wrong when they've got dealing with sickness. Or any whatever struggle it is, what that person is doing is they are defining their whole world through the lens of what they're going through. They live their life like this layman did with all this beauty out here, but they're looking down. Peter had to say, look at us. Why? Because he was looking down. He lived looking down at his problem, what he was going through. And so the point is, is, is why, why is that important? It's important because what you focus on is what will motivate your faith. In other words, faith is seeing. And what you see will determine what you believe. And when you live seeing just the struggle you're going through, you will live not seeing through the eyes of faith, but through the eyes of fear and unbelief. Are you with me now? Hallelujah. Oh, that's a whole message I can't even get into right there. But it's powerful. Do you all, let me just say this. Do you all remember the story of Jacob whenever he was at Laban's house working for Laban because he wanted to marry this beautiful girl, Rebecca? Do you all remember that story? And so anyway, and he worked for her worked for Laban for seven years to earn Rebecca, and lo and behold, when the seven years is up and it's marriage day, old Laban, Uncle Laban fools him, puts a veil on old, um, old uh, what was her name? Leah, puts a veil on Leah, the ugly sister. That's why he put a veil on her. Put a veil on ugly Leah, the ugly sister. He, Laban fooled old Jacob, and Jacob ended up marrying the ugly sister, and he didn't even know it. And so anyway, now he's trapped, but he still wants Rebecca. He goes to Laban. He says, I'll work another seven years for the other one, for Rebecca. Laban says, okay. He ends up working 14 years and finally gets Rebecca's, Rebecca's hand in marriage. Anyway, but after that, now he wants to leave. And so, but Laban, it's been Laban's house, and but now Jacob has prospered under Laban and, and gotten large uh, fields of cattle and sold his Laban. And so anyway, as he wants to leave, he wants to take cattle or sheep, you know, with him. And, and oh, y'all know what a story I'm talking about. This, this is powerful. He wants to take him with him. And so, but Laban says no. And Jacob kept on bugging him about it. I, I need to take some of this flock with me. And so, so Laban said, uh, Jacob comes up with an idea. He says, Laban, what if I only take the, all of the flocks that are speckled and spotted and striped, which means they're not worth anything. They're no good normally. In other words, those are the cast -off. What if I just take the speckled, spotted, and the striped? And Laban says, sure, you can have them. We don't have many of those anyway. And so you know what Laban did? This is powerful. Think of this. This stuns me. You know what's powerful? God gave him an idea. And that is when he, he took in front of the water trough and he puts this big pole and he strips into this pole stripes and speckles and spots. And every day, every time they came 
and they, they came and watered at the trough, they would look and stare at this speckled, spotted, and streaked, striped pole. Are you with me now? And eventually, when they all gave birth, all of them gave birth to speckled, spotted, and striped offspring. Is that powerful or what? Oh, why in the world do you think God put that in the Bible? It's an Old Testament analogy of the way God works with us today. The way God blesses us. He says, you want the blessing of the Lord. You want victory in your life. He said, you need to get in the Word and stare into the speckled, spotted, and striped. I mean, if you need healing, stare into the speckled, spotted, and striped healing scriptures. Stare into the speckled, spotted, and striped prosperity scriptures. Stare into the speckled, spotted, and striped Victory scripture. Stare into the speckled, spotted, and striped. Uh, Y'all get what I'm saying. That's powerful. So you see, what I'm preaching here right now is, is not just some kind of self-help message, you know, positive thinking. This is releasing the power of God into your life to make him, make you all that he wants you to be. It's not just having a positive attitude. It's about taking your mind and your eyes, and looking up on the Word of God, and staring at it, until that Word that you're staring at begins to do a work on the inside of you. Hallelujah. Isn't that good? Woo! I like that. All right, anyway, I didn't even plan on telling you that, but that was good. That was for free there, all right? Hallelujah. I like that. So anyway, listen to this. So, again, he allowed what he was going through to define who he was. When you begin to do that over time, you begin to lose something. Now, listen to me. As a pastor, so much of what I preach today has been born out of the stuff I've dealt with, pastoring so many years, watching people go through stuff, both good and bad, victorious and then losing back. And I've watched people that go through these long-term battles, be it financially, marriage, kids, whatever it is, or something in their mind. And if the battle goes on long enough, Satan has a strategy to wear us down. That's, that's right there. You need to understand that. That when, when you, you get caught in some battle and it takes a while before the victory or the breakthrough comes, you understand that Satan's main strategy is to keep you stuck long enough to where that he can get you to change the way you see yourself. Are you with me now? to where he can bind you in this. When that happens, I've watched people down through the years. After a while, it's like the light goes out in their eyes. I, I've, I've watched it happen. It's like that spring goes out of their step. It's all this, this the twinkle in their eyes. It's like it's gone. It's like nobody's home. It's just like they're just, just kind of going through the motions. You with me now? And I begin to realize something very critical happen and it's com it's conveyed in the little story jesus gives us about himself when you remember in the book of matthew whenever jesus was speaking to a crowd and then he brings this little boy little child up and puts him on his lap you remember that and when he gets him up there he points to this kid and he says he said see this boy this child he said listen he said unless you receive the kingdom of god as this little child 
you will by no means enter into it. Look, when I read that, I thought, listen, I'm convinced we don't fully grasp what Jesus was saying. Because Jesus was not just saying, oh, you kind of need to just be, you know, be like a little child. Be childish. He's not saying be childish at all. What he was saying is this. He says, watch this. When he says enter the kingdom or works in the kingdom, literally the kingdom is basically how God carries out his business in the earth. And what he's saying is if you don't have the spirit of a child, you don't keep the spirit of a child in you, then you're not going to be able to work out all of the, the, the reign of Christ in his kingdom in the earth. In other words, God's not going to be able to do in you, for you, and through you all that he wants to do. You've got to keep the spirit of a child. And I begin to think, what is in the nature of a child? What is the spirit of a child? You ready for this? Number one is this, and here's what we lose. People who go through these long beds, the spirit of a child has a spirit of innocence. Think of it. Children are innocent. When we grow up, we become adults. Now we've been through a lot of hard knocks and a lot of stuff. Now, under the guise of not being childish anymore, not stupid, you know, not naive, now we grow up to the point where that we're not innocent anymore. We don't trust people the way we used to. We live guarded lives. We've lost that sin. People have, even in church, Christians, I've seen them have that, that stinking spirit of, I've been there, done that, bought the T-shirt. Are you with me now? I mean, let me tell you something. I hate that spirit. I mean, I do everything I can to drive that devil out. You understand? That old spirit, look, because a child, listen to this, has a spirit of innocence. Which means a child will never hold anything against you for very long. A child will always forgive. Release it. They'll forget it. You, you take, take little Johnny and you steal his toy truck today, and he might be mad for a moment, but he'll play with you again tomorrow. You know, we, we grow up as adults. You, know, you take our truck and we'll never play with you again. Isn't that true? It's amazing. You know, I have my two of my little grandkids, Pastor Josh and Tori's kids, Roe and Tori. Roe Ro and Tori, not Tori. That's the mama. Roe Ro and Ansley, when they were four and six, Ansley was six, Roe four. Roe had, had developed an, an imaginary friend. Can you imagine this? He had an imaginary friend, and he named this friend Pizza. So him and pa Pizza, start, you know, just started doing stuff. One day... Listen to this, kid. This is awesome. One day, Roe and Pizza decided to start a church in Roe's room. So they start a church, and Roe put Pizza in as the pastor. And so it was Pastor Pizza, he called him. So Roe and Pastor Pizza were having a good time in church. Until one day, his sister Ansley came along, looked in the room, and said, what's going on? He said, well, we have a church. We have a church. She said, I want to join your church. And so he, Ro talked to Pastor Pizza about it, and they decided they would let her join. So they let Ransley join the church, and they all were having a good time for a day or so, all part of the same church, until all of a sudden, Ansley made Ro mad. And Ro kicked Ansley out of his church. And you know what Ansley proceeded to do? She went straight to her room and started her own church. 
I thought I didn't know kids did that, just adults, you know. Isn't it funny? But you know what's interesting? All that that I told you, all that mess lasted about two days, and they were right back to playing nothing, like nothing had ever happened. I mean, a major crisis. Joined the church, kicked out of the church, started another church. Now you got two hours. They're still playing together, having a good time. To us, it's like you go through something like that, and bless God, I don't ever want to see you again. It's like we hold these things. And Jesus said, listen, you don't realize with that stinking attitude, that stinking spirit, you're literally preventing yourself from moving in the things of the kingdom of God because you have become crusty in your spirit, hardened. You become, I mean, I hate this. You know, people become professional. You know, I hate that, what I call a professional spirit. You know, you just kind of got it, uh, you know, you got it together, baby. You know what I'm saying? Look, I, we always need to stay vulnerable. Be like a child. Like we don't know anything. Y'all aren't buying that, are you, huh? Are you? Okay. You know, the second thing that is in the spirit of a child is, is a sense of mystery and wonder. Now think of this. Just think of this and think of your own life. Jesus said, I want you always to maintain the spirit of a child which has a spirit, a sense of mystery and wonder. In other words, no matter how long you live, don't ever lose that that sparkle in your eye, that sense that every day is beautiful. God is great. You know, the best is yet to come. So many lose that, and they end up living the rest of their life looking back behind them. The best days are behind, and now they're just living, just trudging through. No, look, no matter what hell, I've been through a lot of hell, but I've fought to, I've fought to keep this spirit in my life. To say, I'm not going to let what I've gone through define my future. Hallelujah. You know, you've got to keep this sense of mystery and wonder in your life. Jesus was saying that. That's the spirit of a child. You know, Roe again, my grandson. It's like I took him. I've done all my grandkids this way, but I don't know why we do this. But I took him, put him on a table, and I threw him up in the air when he's a little, little bitty kid. Threw him up in the air. And he goes up. When he goes in the air, he goes, ah! And then he comes down, and I catch him. And when I catch him, you know what he said? He said, do it again. So I threw him up in the air again. He goes, ah! I catch him. Ah! 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 A hundred times. A hundred times. After a hundred times, I say to Ro, Ro, what is the matter with you? I've thrown you up a hundred times, and on the hundredth time, you act like the same way as you did the first time I ever did it. You act like you've never experienced this before. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me, that's the spirit of a child. They can experience the same thing every day a hundred times, and every day it's fresh and new and beautiful and powerful. There's a sense of awe and wonder about it. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. You know, when the sun, I'll think of it this way. Every morning, Jesus throws the sun up in the air. We ought to go, ah! And then it comes down at night. And in the morning, the next day, we say, do it again. Woo! Right? Hallelujah. That's the way to live life. You know, here's the point I want you to get. We so we go through stuff, 
and we allow that stuff to change us. We ch it changes our beliefs. It changes our faith. It changes our outlook, our perspective. And then we live always on the path because we've lost our ability to break out into a beautiful future. You know something? Talk, talking about going through stuff, listen. Look, I've been through a bunch of stuff, and probably one of the biggest things is back in 1999, you know, I passing this great church, large church, and all of a sudden my whole system crashes. My, I, physically, I crashed. I ended up having like 12 different types of symptoms, 12 different types of illnesses. The thing is, I ended up going through that dark season of physical illness for six and a half years. I mean, I struggled every single day almost to do anything for six and a half years. But, but listen, my point is, is that I fought for this spirit of a child, I'm telling you. I mean, literally, I would fight for it. I'm not going to lose this belief that God is still a good God, even in the midst of all this hell, that God still has the best yet ahead for me. All of those things, that people are still good. I came through that God brought me out January 2016. I was totally well, totally healed. After God brings me out of those six and a half years, I get on Facebook one day. And I put type on Facebook one of my sayings, and that is, I, I typed on Facebook, God is great, life is good, and people are beautiful. I did that. God is great, life is good, people are beautiful. Don't you like that? I put that on Facebook. When I did, as soon as I did, just, I mean, almost seconds later, this woman posted back at me. And can I tell you something? I don't know if you realize this, but if you're on Facebook, do you realize that not all of, not all of your friends on Facebook are actually your friends? Just because it says friend doesn't mean they're your friend. And this woman that posted back, it was obvious that she didn't know me, know who I was or what I'd been through. She saw that God is great, life is good, people are beautiful. And she posted back this. She said, that would be nice if it were only true. Listen, she said, it's obvious you've never been through anything in your life. I said, oh, I'm going to post right back. I posted right back, and I said, my belief that God is great, life is good, and people are beautiful has not been born out of a Pollyanna life of nothing, having gone through nothing in my life. Actually, quite the opposite. I said, this belief, God is great, life is good, people are beautiful, is born out of having gone through the fire and the flood and all hell and seen God faithful in the midst of it all. Hallelujah. God held me through the darkest hour. I never lost that faith and that confidence. I love that, don't you? Hallelujah. The spirit of a child. Listen, let me go to the next thing. This. So he, he allowed what he's going through to change the way or to define him and change the way he saw himself. Number two, this. And that is because of that, eventually he quit, quit living to get up and started living to get along. Now think of this. Just like all of us, at first we start believing for the miracle. I'm sure he believed the miracle. I'm believing for the, to get up and walk today. But after he had been this way so long, he quit living to get up and started living to just get along. So what happens is when we change the way we see ourselves because of what we're going through, 
we also start changing the way we live. We change our expectations. You see, this man, it said, we read it there, it says, he looked at Peter expecting to receive something. Now, so we know by that he expected to receive something, but it didn't tell us what he expected to receive. But we know by the story, here's what was happening. Peter had come on the scene expecting to bring him life change. So Peter had come expecting to bring him change. And the lame man, he was looking for change. The two of them were looking for just two different kinds of change. The lame man was begging, looking, expecting another pox, some more pocket change to sustain him in another day of suffering. Peter was offering him life change to break him out of his struggle so he wouldn't need another quarter in his pocket. Are y'all out there? I love that. The man had reduced his expectations. You know what happens when you reduce your expectations? You also reduce your level of faith. Your faith reduces to your level of expectations. When you quit expecting God to do great things, you quit believing. Your faith, you have no faith activated for that. You know why? Listen to this. Here's another free one. You ready? Listen. You know what expectation is, don't you? Biblically, it's just hope. Hope actually literally means expectation. Firm, steady expectation. And the Bible says... The Bible says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. In other words, hope is the container that faith fills. And if there's no hope, there's nothing for faith. There's nothing for faith to go into. Are you all with me now? So your, your hope or your expectation, if that's, if that's lowered, then your faith has nothing to flow through. Because your faith flows through your level of hope and expectation. Hallelujah. So I'm very biblical in saying today, get your hopes up. Get your hopes up. Hallelujah. I'm going to say this and then I'm going to close. I, this just came to me. Years ago, there's a story that I used to tell this years ago. I haven't told it for a long time. But how did Earlier on in our churches, after we started church, we started growing. There was this young couple that came to our church. They had just gotten married a handful of months before. And then she gets pregnant. Their name was Lance and Lisa. I'll never forget it. And they, she gets pregnant. The new, new believers. And so then they, she carries the baby for, you know, I think it was six months. And so, of course, you understand six months now, we're talking 40 years ago. It was different than six months now. And um, and so six months, and all of a sudden she starts having these uh, labor pain. She's going into labor. She gets to the hospital. Ends up I I don't know this. I'm at home watching Monday Night Football. I remember vivid. I'm watching Monday Night Football. You know we're in a real spiritual posture, right? And um, I mean I was praising God and everything and. Or believing, believing God. And that was back in the day of the cardiac cardinals. Anybody remember that? Yeah, no, y'all don't know what I'm talking about, do you? 
And now, and so I get this phone, my phone rings, and it's somebody from the hospital there, and they said, Lance and Lisa, whatever last name was, and they said, they said, your pastor, they've asked for you, would you come, please, right now? And I said, what's wrong? And they said, well, she's gone into labor, you know, and well, I knew what that meant. I raced to the hospital. And uh, because the doctor said that she was, the baby uh, was not alive, the baby wasn't going to be born alive. And, and so anyway, I get to the hospital, now this is, and they had called me because they, they had said in our ministry and they knew how we believed and what we preach. And they had asked me to come there to pray and believe God for a miracle that that baby would live. And so anyway, but when I got there, they were totally opposite of that. Their head was hung down. They had tears in their eyes. They were all sad, like the whole world had turned against them. And I, when I walked in and saw that, I said, well, what's going on here? What's happened? And they said, before you came in here, they said on the one side of our family, our relatives, they're, they're Catholic, and said they, we didn't even know they were going to do this. They said, but they, they had asked a priest to come. And so two of them came. And so these two priests had just come, and they just left before I got there. And these priests came, and the, and this Lance and Lisa told them how they were believing God, and I was going to come. And these priests spent the next 30 minutes or so basically telling them, oh, no, don't get your hopes up. You need to prepare. And they spent the next 30 minutes preparing them for this child to be born, not alive. And, uh, and so after 30 minutes, this thing had totally drained all the faith out of it. And so when I heard that, I looked at them. And I said, well, listen, I said, I'm, I said, I'm going to sit here, and for the next 30 minutes, I'm going to preach to you faith. And I said, when I, as I do, here's what I said. I said, you get your hopes up. In other words, I was trying to create now a new container so that faith could be poured into that container. Amen? Faith is the substance of, what that, conta of that container. And so I built a picture of God healing that baby and that baby being born alive. They said, the doctor says that, that the lungs weren't formed yet. And so, anyway, long story short, hour or so passed, a couple hours passed. I'm, there uh, uh, are the fathers in the waiting room. I happen to walk down the hall. The doctor comes out. And when he comes out, he's shaking his head. And I said, what's wrong? I said, doctor, said, what, what's going to happen? He said, I don't understand it. He said, that baby, he said, there's no reason that baby should have lived. He said, because its lungs weren't formed. But not only is the baby born alive, but the baby came out and started crying louder and quicker than any baby I'd ever heard or seen. Isn't that something? Now, this is, this is part of the stuff, Pastor Katie, that you get to do when you, after you've been a minister a long time and become an old person. So there are good things about becoming an old person, right? Listen. So I'm standing now. Oh, hallelujah. So now I was standing 25 years later in our church, in the restaurant. You know, there are Woody's. We had in our church. Some of you know that. I was standing there in the afternoon. There was a basketball game going on. There were people coming in and out. I hadn't seen anybody. I hadn't seen Lance and Lisa. They quit going to our church that next year. That was it. So I hadn't seen them since, like 25 years. I'm standing in that restaurant, and this lady, young lady comes up behind me, attached me, she says, and this lady has a baby in her arms. And she says, uh, Pastor Sheldon. I said, yes. 
She says, uh, do you know who I am? I says, uh, no. She says, do you remember when you went to the hospital and prayed for Lance and Lisa's baby that was supposed to be born dead, and you prayed, God, the baby was born alive? I said, yeah. She says, I'm that baby. And she says, this is my baby. She said, you dedicated me to the Lord. I want to know if you'll dedicate my baby to the Lord. Hey, let me tell you. Let me tell you, that's what it's all about. But just think, I never would have gotten that opportunity. Now a whole second, third generation lives because of one couple who had hopes dashed, but they got their hopes up again. And faith filled that container. Everybody stand to your feet with me. Have you all been helped today? All righty. Hallelujah.